Hey everybody, welcome back to the FBC Huntsville Young Adult Podcast. I am your host, John Lemons. I'm the minister to young adults here at First Baptist Church in Huntsville, Alabama. And I'm joined by Ellen Christian and Tiffany Fanning, my two co-hosts that have been on this ride with me this year. We're we're in season three, and this is episode three of our of our series that we're doing on our podcast this year. And the series is called Black, White, and Red All Over, a podcast series about the Bible. So we've been reading through the Bible this year, and we're going to talk today about what we read in the month of February and do a little little preview of, of what we're going to be reading in, in the month of March. So hopefully you're reading along with us, or maybe you're listening to this at another time and you're on your own reading plan or whatever, but we hope this is a helpful insight and a helpful tool for you as you attempt to do that uh, yourself as well. So Tiffany, uh, Ellen, how have you all been? How's your, your February been? It's gone. It went. It did go. I do feel like January lasted 365 days, and I did look up at February 13th and was like, oh my gosh, it's yeah. February 13th. So there's that. One yeah. was a lot faster than the other. Well, and Which I, I happen to love January. Kids. <laughs> well, and I had uh, I got COVID, so that was fun. So it it finally caught up to me. In fact, I was uh, this is appropriate for this uh, for what we're talking about this month. I actually had made jokes. There were there were people that had gotten it over the last couple of months that hadn't gotten it the whole time, and and I was like, I really don't know how it hasn't gotten my household. It must be the blood that I put up on my doorposts, right? You know. So of course I make that joke, and then like two weeks later. I, I actually got it, but uh, I was the only one in my house that got it. Thank goodness. Knock on wood and all that. Um, it, but you know, it wasn't, I, I've vaccinated and boosted and all that stuff. So it wasn't, uh, wasn't too bad. It was, uh, it was, I, I dealt with it. Okay. So. Yeah. Well, we were around somebody who didn't know that their kids potentially had it, but their spouse had it and they still came around anyway. So I just gotten off one kid being quarantined and then I had to quarantine both of them to follow the rules and then yesterday I thought I was gonna have to go pick up my oldest because she fibbed and told her daycare teacher that she had been throwing up they called me and I was like y'all I would never send my kid if she'd been throwing up like I tell on myself constantly nice. that you know they've sneezed and we're just gonna stay home nice <laughs> so they're fine nice nice so my sister did have uh COVID and she quarantined or whatever and I think it was like the nicest five days. She Netflix, read books, was quiet, enjoyed herself. It's not not what I envisioned my quarantine being like. Yeah, we have to. That is what I wanted mine to be, and it totally wasn't that because <laughs> I had I had a paper due for school because I'm in school right now, and so I pretty much spent a really good portion of that time just working my paper. So it was helpful in that regard because I, I mean, there's nothing else I could do. And I, I was just stuck in our bedroom for five days, but, um, yeah, I wanted, I wanted really, when it started, I had this whole list of, I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to get some rest. I'm going to read some books. I'm going to watch some movies I, I want to watch. And I didn't really do a whole lot of that, but you know, it's all good. And, and I did get my paper done. I'm waiting on my grade, but I felt like it, it was pretty good. So uh, and we'll see. I'll get my grade and we'll see how that went. We also had, I was in quarantine 
over the Super Bowl, which did really stink because we try to do some Super Bowl parties around here. We try to get all our Bible study groups to get together and, and have a party and invite their friends and invite their neighbors. I know you guys had one, and you always look like it was really well attended. Uh, fun? Good time? Anybody even watch the game? Loud. Yeah. <laughs> My favorite memory uh, of my time here of the Super Bowl was two years ago was the last time we did this. It was right before the pandemic started and we had five or six different locations around town and you all had one at uh, the the Ham's house. And um, it was, uh, I just remember, I remember being there because I, I, I went to a couple of different ones and I, I came to yours at halftime and I don't remember who the halftime entertainment was, but it was, you know, Jennifer Lopez. Yeah, it was JLo. Okay. And so JLo was scantily clad. Glittery outfit. And doing a lot of dancing. And I just remember a child that would, will rename nameless, just, yes, (laughs) gaping at the screen. And it was, it was hilarious. And I just, I laughed about that for, for days. So. We got the best photo too because we took the photo at halftime. Yeah, while everyone got to gawk at mm-hmm. JLo. That is right. And it, the last time we had that, I was newly pregnant with my baby, so that's how I mark things now, like pre and post COVID times. Yeah, me too. Yeah, because now she's one and a half, and here we are, just having our next party. Yeah. So that was that was February. It was a fun one for us and uh, real enjoyable. We're going to talk about what we read. In the Bible, over the month of February, we covered the books of, let's see, Exodus, Genesis, and Leviticus, and we're now into Numbers. So we're going to talk about that here in just a moment. Tiffany, tell us your insights from Exodus, Leviticus. What are some of the things you thought and um, that popped out at you as you read through that this month? So I hate to be um, lame, but Leviticus is just not my jam. I read through it. I've read through it a couple of times because like we've talked about in one of the earlier episodes, um, I've attempted to read through the Bible a couple of times and I seem to have made it through Leviticus at least each time I've tried to attempt to go through. So this is my second for sure, full-time going through and then reading the whole Bible. And I just don't love it. So my stuff is more from Exodus. And I do have one new little piece that I picked up this go-around in Leviticus. But it's like I had pages and pages of notes from where we did Genesis and Job. And I've got some good stuff from Exodus. And then Leviticus, I was like, I got like six points. (laughs) It was just really tough for me. It's just a really hard book. But one of the things that I picked up on um, really in Exodus was about Moses and his leadership, which... He has a lot of anger issues, which I feel like I can totally agree with. I cannot agree with that's wrong, but like I find myself also having anger issues and like, why don't you just listen and just ah, listen to me and do it the way it's supposed to be done? Why is it so complicated? Um, and I find that Moses, you know, obviously he had the ear of God and he could get um, wisdom from God. And he could ask him for advice, but there's this really beautiful thing that happens in Exodus 18, 22 where his father-in-law Jethro is telling Moses, like you're spending all day listening to the people's problems. And that's great. And that's good leadership, you know, to hear the needs of the people. But 
you can't do it all on your own. It's a large group of people. You're having to do these other things. You're spending 40 days up on Mount Sinai. Like who's going to be there when you're gone? And so Jethro tells him to get some helpers, have someone who listens to the tens and the hundreds and the thousands and the, the problems that they can't solve. Let's have, you know, that go to you. Um, so kind of like this hierarchy of helpers, which goes back to, you know, Genesis where um, Adam was in the garden alone and then God gave him a helper to rule the, the earth, you know, together. Um, so there's wisdom in literature and in God, but there's also wisdom in seeking guidance from others and in delegating the tasks. And so that spoke to me. I have a hard time of letting go of things. And be, okay, for, for example, Jacob, I'm sorry. He packed the diaper bag for the baby last week, and I just had a disaster of a week at work. I was stressed out. I had three, two coworkers out. I had a new girl I was training um, and my manager was gone. So I was like the most senior person on my team who knew what was going on. And I said, Hey man, could you just pack the diaper bag and get it ready for school? And he's like, yeah. So he did. I dropped the kids off. It was not smooth. And then like five minutes later, daycare calls. And I'm like, they're going to have me come pick up this kid. And I just cannot today. She didn't have a pacifier. Dad had one job, pack the diaper bag. She gets three sippy cups and a pacifier. Like get them. I was so like, irrationally upset about it. So there was my unrighteous anger. That's the same as Moses. But then also I had delegated to task and now I don't want to delegate that anymore. So I said, you need to go to the dollar store or wherever and buy her a pacifier and throw it at daycare. I'm not going back to like give her one. <laughs> so sorry. Honey, so what did, <laughs> what did you, what did, so, so reading through Moses and seeing him deal with his irrational anger, did you learn anything from that as far as how to deal with yours? Or did you just um, sympathize gonna, with Moses? Like, start therapy. I think that's good. <laughs> uh, I called the fine counseling. I'm going to go see somebody. That'll Maybe she can give me some better coping mechanisms because he gets angry and then immediately lashes out. And I have a very similar um, attitude. Like, I I write so many emails at work that I end up deleting because I take their names out of the thing and I give them all of my unrighteous anger and then I take it all out. And then I write the business appropriate email and I follow up. <laughs> Um, nice. so I really saw more of what not to do, like do the count to 10 thing. Don't strike the rock when you're supposed to speak to it. Uh, just cause you're mad. What are we supposed to do? You want us to give you water. Well, it was God who was providing the water in the first place. Remember where it comes back to you. And today I also was frustrated. I texted both of y'all, like if I just can't raw emojis. So then I started a list of things that make me happy like today. <laughs> nice. And so I was like, I had a good drop off. My mom came to help this morning. I had baked, you know, fresh bread. I got to spend time in the word. Um, some people at work affirmed that I'm not absolutely crazy, that these people just are out of line. Like, that was nice. <laughs> so, there you go. Yeah. Just trying to get off that crazy train. Um, so moving on from like my anger, I guess. <laughs> Thanks for the talk. Um, is glad, Exodus... glad to be of assistance for you to yeah, help you work out your anger issues. Yeah. So then my next one was um, Exodus 34, 6 through 7, which is where we get some of the first descriptions and attributes of God. Yep. And something I noticed was just my propensity to focus on the negative. Um, it's very easy for me to be a negative Nancy. And I think it was also that way for Israel, um, the Israelite community. I mean, they had manna from heaven. They were getting water in the desert and they still had things to complain about, which is insane. Um, but like the description of God is slow to anger, abounding in love, you know, he, faithful love. Um, mm -hmm. He'll have love for thousands. 
He forgives iniquity and transgression and sin. And then, so he's got like five, well, humans would consider positive attributes. And then he's got like the one negative attribute um, where he punishes the guilty to the third and fourth generations. And how much do we focus on that one negative? Yeah. When there are all these five positives. So by human standards, you know, he's got five good to one bad. Even that's an awesome ratio. Um, but why do we only focus on that one negative one? Um, so that stood out to me. Now, this is the first time that we see it. And I had been listening to an, another podcast. I don't know if it was the Bible Project or maybe it was what um, Tara Lee said. But like in the Hebrew scripture, they would put the most important thing that they wanted you to focus on first and then the least important thing last. And when you're writing an essay in, you know, middle school, high school, college, they want you to put like your statements. Thesis. Yeah. And then, yeah. And they want your summary at the end. Like this is what you're going to leave them with. I would make a terrible juror because whoever has the closing argument, I'm like, yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's, that's legit. That's what it is. So I think we have to remember not to read it in that perspective. And um, God doesn't have negative attributes. Even this one punishing the guilty is positive. That goes back to, I would think to like the slow to anger. He gives them a lot of leash um, and line to, to do the wrong thing, to come back to do the right thing. So for him not to punish outside of the third and fourth generation is generous. We could still be paying for punishments from the Israelites. I mean, he doesn't have to forgive, you know? Yeah, well, and in fact, a couple really cool things about that verse. Number one is it's the most quoted verse in the Old Testament. This was the, the most quoted verse where the Old Testament quotes itself. Like, And you'll see versions of it pop up because they don't I – mean, we're really – our culture or just the, the way we live, like we're very precise when we quote things. They always weren't. They, their quotes were more like sort of references, but – it gets referenced or pieces of it get quoted over and over and over and over again. I think it's even quoted again, either right before that or right after that again in Exodus. Um, so that's one thing I think the old Testament is, is trying to drive home by the fact that it's, that's quoting that so much is that the Lord is slow to anger, that he is uh, forgiving, that he is um, patient, uh, that he is loving and gracious. And then on the, punishing to the third and fourth generation there's actually there was a really good i i don't know if you listen the same one i did but it was a really good bible project podcast a few months ago that i listened to where they were talking about that and they were saying basically what that means is um third and fourth is sort of a hebrew expression or idiom would be the right way to describe it and it's just a it's just it's just something that means like an undetermined number basically like so we would say and so and so basically you know so it's kind of the same equivalent of that when you get into i think it's the book of amos amos kind of goes through and he says for three sins of this city and for four and then he goes to the next one he says for three sins of this city and for four and it just means for like this undetermined number basically uh you'll see that over and over again in the old testament a three and a four put together and it just kind of means like so-and-so basically or on and on the one thing about that is we tend to think it means that like if our dad sins like our kids kids are going to get punished for it really the idea that it's trying to convey is that is the consistency of god or the constant nature of god so that 
the laws that he is setting forth or the expectations that he is setting forth for our father's generation, he is still going to expect for our great grandkids generation. Does that make sense? So like visiting the iniquity really just means like he's, he's holding the, this, he's holding you to this and he's going to hold your kids to it and their kids to it and their kids to it basically is kind of the idea. But then right after that too, it says he's also, uh, I can't remember exactly what it says, but something to the effect of like, he's also very loving and gracious, kind for thousands of generations. So even that kind of takes the, the small sliver of what you talked about, Tiffany, like the negative part of it and gives it a, a almost infinite positive spin or ending to it as well. But uh, I'm glad you mentioned that because it's a really great verse and passage and it's really important in in the old testament and then yeah what you're talking about with jethro it's funny i actually think i this is just my own personal theory and i'm not i'm not a scholar or anything but i actually think so exodus has a couple of sections i think it's like 21 through 25 and another one where it's just like a bunch of like circumstances if this happens here's how you're supposed to handle it or whatever i actually think that comes probably out of Jethro's conversation with Moses and asking him like, Hey, you need to give some of this up. You need to train some people to handle these issues so that you're not handling every little detail. And I actually think a part of what, what we're given in Exodus there is, is Moses relinquishing some of that and giving some of that to the community so that they can figure out how do we handle things ourselves as opposed to always going to him. So, it's just a thought on that as well. Uh, Ellen, what were your thoughts, insights, and you know things that stood out to you in the book of Exodus or Leviticus? Um, so I have uh, three. Uh, so I, standout is, yeah, it is it's stuff that stands out for me. So um, Exodus and Leviticus, Numbers, even Deuteronomy and Kings, those books to me, are really hard and i even like looked up synonyms of hard because to me it even sounded that that wasn't like the correct word to use um so i came it was like dense rigid stiff resistance and to me like that does kind of work for exodus i mean i know there's good redeeming pieces of those books but man they're hard for me to digest and so um John, you had mentioned in the first podcast, I think that we did to like sit in the uncomfortableness of um, these books. Yeah. And that's, I feel like I have done a better job of that this go around. Yeah. Um, so um, your wife, Emily, mentioned something um, at a dinner we were at together when she said that uh, we have too much information um, on some things. And I think in some cases, that's a great, it, it, or it can be a positive. Um, in some cases, it can definitely be a negative. But I feel like going through this the third time, um, like I was just figuring out the puzzle pieces the first go around. And now like some of the puzzle pieces are getting some color to them. And so now I'm like putting all the blues together and I'm putting all the purples together and I'm per putting all the greens together. So that's what I feel like is happening. Um, and so in Exodus 32, where Aaron makes the golden calf um, and, and God calls the Israelites uh, in the message version, stubborn, hard-headed people or, you know, stiff-necked people. 
Um, and, and I got so, I get so frustrated with Aaron, um, because I think your proximity to God, like you could, I mean, theoretically you're so close, you could touch him, you know, at that Mm -hmm, point mm -hmm. in, in the book. Um, and I guess maybe I long for that proximity. And so I get frustrated with Aaron because he's just right there and he screws up, but you know, like I screw up too. So I think that's a um, that's something I'm wrestling with um, is is sitting with how I how I view Aaron, how I treat Aaron in my in my noggin, um, you know, and wh- what that looks like on paper. So, but but God's anger and and Moses's plea in that same piece where where Moses is interceding for the people, and I'm frustrated with Aaron, and I'm frustrated with the people. And Moses is interceding for him. And I know like it all comes back full circle where we all need Jesus. You know what I mean? Like it's just a constant reminder of how much we need Jesus. But I don't know. Those that chapter always brings out the frustrated side. Yeah. For me. I know you talked one of the previous two episodes we did that we had talked before about noticing certain themes that come out in the in the scriptures. And you had talked about where I said, you know, I don't know if you were looking for the word repentance or I know I said that for me, that was something that popped out at me one time when I read it. Yeah. It just, it appears over and over. Is that, is that what you were um, doing this year? I, sometimes I, or I feel like I just have kind of over and over a word just kind of starts coming to me. And so like last year it was discipline. Okay. Um, yeah. But, and this year I, I feel like maybe this year it's fear. Cause that's what I keep running nice. into is fear. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, one of the things that jumps out at me over and over in the book of Exodus is, is repentance because you even have when all the stuff's going on with Pharaoh, Pharaoh, he gets to the point where he'll say to Moses, like, okay, make it stop. And he basically sort of repents. And as soon as he does, Moses is like, okay, I'll go lift up a word to the Lord and it stops like that. And so you get a picture even right away that like the moment that we repent, if we mean it, like God, God honors that. Even if he knows we're going to go turn around and tomorrow not live up to that. Um, if you mean it in the moment, then like he, he relents on that. And then you even see that going on throughout Exodus where, you know, God is, is tired of the people and he's ready to just, finish them and like start over and and moses goes and intercedes before god and and says no like you you need to forgive these people you need to you know uh, accept my intercession on their behalf and and accept this repentance on their behalf so i just to me you know you you get a real picture in exodus and leviticus of the holiness of god for sure Mm -hmm. and how different he is than us but you also get a sense of his um grace and loving kindness and his willingness to to forgive uh when we when we do repent so 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 then maybe my word needs to be repentance because that piggybacks into my second piece is leviticus 26 which is where he talks about um promising blessings for obedience and curses for disobedience um and i get that the curses are meant to like wake israel up um you know get their attention um but to me, um, reading those, even as a third go around, it's scary. It, it's a, that brings out a, like a sense of fear um, in me. And 
and I know like to trust the sovereignty of God. Um, but maybe that's where I, uh, have some gaps in my, my relationship with God, um, that I need to work through on my own. Hmm. So, so those, um, those are the, the two biggest, um, chapters that I wrestled with. Um, and I know she says like in the first part, um, like if in the first podcast for numbers, um, where she's kind of doing like a little mini summary and she says, um, you know, these, the Israelites have only known God for a year. Mm. Um, and so I think, okay, well, I don't know. That makes me not justify their actions anymore, but I could see where, well, if I only know you for a year versus now, you know, Ellen Christian knowing God, uh, for 23 years, you know, there's a difference obviously mm. in relationship. So, mm. but yeah, that's where those were the, the biggest chapters that uh, I wrestled with this year, but, or this time, but I also have decided that I'm going to throw a Jubilee party for me when <laughs> I turn 50. Nice. So I went big for my 30th. And so, I mean, like, I'm going to have like the feast of January, the feast of February, the feast of March. We're going to do a feast leading up to June. And I have like the perfect birthday because I have a June 1st birthday. So it's right smack dab in the middle of the year. Nice. Nice. That'll so, work. That'll, bring that's on just... 50. <laughs> well, you still have a while. So I know, just to I may be... need all that time to plan. Just to be clear. That's, that's awesome. Great, great insights uh, from you both. Okay, so I'll share mine now. If we, uh, so I'm always big on look at the scriptures as a story telling us how to get back to the garden. And so if we look at it from that perspective, what do we see when we, when we look at Exodus? Um, and honestly, and I honestly did not notice this until this time I've read it. So I've read the Bible a few different times. I've read Exodus several times, and. As I've said before, I'm a big proponent of chunk reading, trying to read it down in as few uh, sittings as I can. And in doing that this time, um, I just, something jumped out at me that, that I'd never noticed before. And so when you have the, the storyline of Exodus, you have almost a reversal of what happens in the creation story up through the flood and up through uh, the building of the Tower of Babel. So the Tower of Babel... You know, obviously that's kind of that the advent of the brick. And obviously when the when the Israelites are slaves, they're working with bricks. They're not building the pyramids. That's a that's a uh, uh, that was a, a belief at one point in time. But the, we, we now know the beliefs that the pyramids were established uh, probably prior to the Israelites even get there. But they're working on something. They're working with bricks. So you kind of have that parallel to the Tower of Babel. And then, of course, you have all the plagues. And you have um, the Red Sea, which is where they, they cross through, and then the waters come in and cover over the Egyptian army, right? Which is sort of a, a parallel to the flood. So it's, it's God's judgment on the Egyptian army. And honestly, the plagues are, in some sense, floods themselves as well, because they're this, this overabundance of you know whatever it is they're being plagued by. Um, so then you go from that into 
they enter into the wilderness, which what is a wilderness? It's, it's barren land. And if you remember Genesis, the earth was void and barren and, and had nothing. And so, you know, Moses strikes a, a rock and water appears and then they, they pray to the Lord and, and quail starts to appear and food starts to appear. And then they go and they build the tabernacle, which Tara Lee even says, and I, I don't remember which one of her episodes it was, but she talks about how the tabernacle is supposed to look like the garden and how the different pieces of the tab- tabernacle represent different things in the garden. So the Ark of the Covenant represents the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The lampstand represents the tree of life. And so you have this moment where they they try to reestablish the garden in this wilderness after they've so they've tried to undo almost what's happened so far in, in Genesis. And then what happens when they get there? Just like with with Noah, when he comes out on the other side of the flood, um, just like Adam and Eve, they get to a point where they're grumbling and they're complaining. And we see uh, and we see them even kind of backing away from their commitments. Several times in Exodus, they'll say, like, absolutely, like we're determined to follow the Lord. We'll do whatever he says. And then they start complaining four verses later. Right. So it's almost like they are being contrasted to Pharaoh because remember how like flip floppy Pharaoh is in the first half of Exodus. So we see now, in spite of all of that, they're no different than their enemies. They're no different than the people. They're um, they're falling into the same traps of Adam and Eve and uh, uh, even Noah after um, God tried to sort of reestablish things. So. We kind of see there, if we're asking this question, how do we get back to the garden? We kind of see, like, is this the way to do it? And then, no, because the people people haven't changed at all. The other thing um, that really jumped out at me that I think I, I'll just kind of, I mean, you'll know where I'm going if you, if you know Christianity at all. But there's, I think it's like Exodus 28, where it, it sets up the practices in the, in the tabernacle and what the priest Aaron is supposed to, supposed to wear. So Aaron's a priest going to, to the Lord on behalf of the people. And so he wears a robe. He wears all these like gemstones and stuff that are representative of the people. He has a, like sort of a, a banner that he wears across his head that says holiness to the Lord. And he um, he's the one that goes into the it actually says he wears that banner to represent the people and represent the sins of the people. And then he goes, he enters into this remade garden of the Lord. Right. As you read on in the Old Testament, we'll get to this in several months, but I think it's in Isaiah where Isaiah begins to point out that uh, he uses the line, all of our, all of our righteousness is like filthy rags to the Lord. Um, And so what's shocking about that is there's nobody that's more pure and more holy than the high priest. And so for, for Isaiah to make that comment and just say like, man, we can't even, we can't even get close to stacking up. Like uh, our very, our most righteous person is like a filthy rag to the Lord. And then you get into Zechariah and Zechariah has a really eye-opening vision in his prophecy where he sees the high priest and he's looking at the high priest. The high priest is totally pure, totally clean. In fact, um, one of the things you'll, I learned in seminary. So they, the Jews have all these writings in addition to the, the scriptures that are you know, even more about how to conduct ourselves and, and they break down even more um, what 
you know, what does it mean to work on the Sabbath? For instance, they break it down even more in their other additional teachings and writings, because, you know, that's a, that's a legitimate question. Like what, what constitute work, what constitutes work and, and stuff like that. One of the things they have in there is they have the procedures for the high priest going into the day of atonement, which is the most holy day of the year, which for us would be like good Friday and Easter and all that kind of stuff. One of the things they would do is they would keep the high priest awake the night before the day of atonement because they can't risk him falling asleep and having a dream that makes him impure or having, you know, some sort of like soiling himself in the middle of the night because all of a sudden if he does that, then he's unclean. And then, well, who's going to represent us before the Lord on the day of atonement? So like they take it so seriously that they can't even risk that. So they keep him awake the night before the day of atonement. So Zechariah has this vision where the high priest is in the temple of the Lord and he's wearing his garments and he's clean. He's the most pure person in Israel and his garments are covered in excrement. Literally, that's the word he uses. And so it's just this really puzzling vision. And so basically what the story of the Old Testament is telling us is that here's one of the ways God is providing for us to get back to the garden. we got to wear this fancy robe. We got to have this guy that wears this ban this banner across his forehead that rep that's representative of the of the sins of the people, and then he's got to enter into the garden. But we're be, we're going to be told in Zechariah that that's not this isn't going to work, and we're going to as we read the rest of the Old Testament, we're going to see this isn't going to work. So then, what does it do? It sets us up to look for something else. And so, what I would say to you, reader, is be on the lookout then for someone who maybe does the opposite of the high priest Aaron. Is there someone that leaves a garden? to take us back, to allow us to, to reconcile with the Lord. Is there someone who maybe he's not wearing a fancy robe? Maybe he's, maybe he's stripped of his robe. Um, the new Testament would go on to say that like we wear the righteous righteousness of Christ. Um, so he takes off his righteousness and gives it to, to, to us. And so he leaves the garden of Gethsemane. He's stripped naked and goes to the cross. And then what is placed on his head? A crown of thorns. And a thorn is representative of the curse of Adam. Because if you remember in Genesis chapter three, when, when God pronounces the curse, he says like, you'll work around uh, on the, you'll work in the field or in the ground and there will be thorns and thistles and things like that. So now he's wearing on his forehead, something to represent our sins and our curse and, and bearing that. So you really have this if we're going to look at it like a story that's showing us how to get back to the garden, we're going to see, we're not going to be able to do it by reversing the things like the way they do in Exodus. We're not going to do it by leaning on the high priest because we're going to see like we can't do it. And our righteousness, even with Aaron, is like filthy rags. So we have to look for someone who can undo even what Aaron does. And we find that eventually with Jesus. So that's kind of my insight that I'll share about Exodus. And then when we look into Leviticus, and this will kind of get into our next section, because what we want to talk about with just as far as general conversation to this is what do we do with the Old Testament laws? And obviously there's a lot of those in Exodus, but the vast majority of them are in Leviticus. And uh, getting into what you talked about, Ellen, um, kind of leaning into the discomfort or the, uh, you know, we read Leviticus and we're like, ah, oh, this is so boring. But if you could look at it, here's a the best illustration I could think of is if you're familiar with, the um, book or play or movie, A Christmas Carol, 
right? Ebenezer Scrooge and the, you know, goes to Christmas past, present, and future. So what happens with that? Ebenezer Scrooge is who he is. These ghosts show up over the course of a night and take him to different moments, either in his life or in other people's lives. And so in a night, he revisits all these these moments, or even he goes into the future and sees more. But in a night, he's getting the experience of several years or several nights, basically. And within that, he's in some cases, he's like literally taken by the hand and, and the ghost is like holding his hand. And he's just seeing these things, he's reliving moments in his life where he's seeing experiences in other other people's lives. And as you read or as you watch, he even feels those moments. He even experiences those moments again. He he remembers people that he's close to, or he sees how, you know, Bob Cratchit and his family like handle, you know, the the realities of of life uh, for them at that moment. And and for Scrooge, he kind of connects that to his past and what it was like for him growing up. And then he goes into the future and and all that. But basically, he's living many, 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 many nights in one night, and he's feeling and he's experiencing that too. That's what the invitation to read the Bible is as well. So we're reading the Bible and we're we're seeing this experience of people that takes place over thousands of years. So for us, in the course of one year, we're kind of taken by the hand and we're uh, escorted by the Holy Ghost into this experience, and we're invited to feel it and to experience it in the same way that Ebenezer Scrooge was invited to feel and to experience the past and the present and the future. And so we're experiencing these thousands of years over the course of this one year. We're just invited to observe and we're just invited to, we're not a part of the scene. You know, nobody interacted with Scrooge while he was, while he was there, but we're invited to, to look at it and we're invited to feel what's happening in the narrative. And so when you get to Leviticus, that's kind of where I would, I would say just, yeah, like reread it and we're like, oh, this is boring. Like imagine living under that. Imagine the pressure of being like, oh, I got to I gotta keep up with all these laws and these regulations and I got to figure out what they mean. Like when you go to Israel, uh, I find this really, it's funny, but it's also just, it gives you a picture of the burden that that these these people had to live under. Um, so I, I referenced earlier that there's a law that you're not to cook your uh a baby goat in its mother's milk, right? Like random law. If you go to Israel, there's McDonald's there. And if you go to McDonald's, there's no cheeseburgers. And in fact, any meal that you're at, they don't serve milk and meat at the same meal. So if you have milk, you're not going to have meat. If you have meat, you're not going to have milk. And the reason why is they just don't want to take the chance that you might be drinking the milk of the that's of the mother of the piece of meat that you're eating. Does that make sense? So there's no cheeseburgers. Um, if you go and you're, it's the Sabbath day and you're in a hotel and you want to get up to your room and you get on the elevator, they have a Sabbath setting for the elevators where it stops on every floor because you touching the button might be, they don't really know. They don't know what, what constitutes work. So they don't want you to work. So you pressing the button on the elevator might be work, right? So, so you get on the, on the Sabbath day, you get on the, on the Sabbath elevator and it just stops on every floor. So that's the burden that they live under, and that's that's the burden you're you're being invited to feel when you read through the book of Leviticus. So if you sit in that discomfort, if you sit even in that burden or in that that weight of it, then you can begin to, I hope, long for something else. 
um, and, and, and expect and hope for something else. And so that's sort of the, the insight I get out of Leviticus. Yes, it's a toil. Nobody enjoys. There's nobody who, who looks at Leviticus and, and is like, ooh, that's my favorite book. But that's the, that's the um, you know, like I said, the experience you're, you're being invited to kind of take in at that moment in time. Try to Try to be in these people's shoes and try to f- feel like what it must have been like for them. And through that, try to hope for what they hope for and then look for that because we're going to come to see all these laws and rules and regulations are necessary, but we can't live by them. And we're not going to get back to the garden by following these. We need to look somewhere else to someone else who's going to fulfill all these rules and obligations. So thoughts before we move on to, you know, what do we do with this now? I mean, it, I, I do agree. Um, that I do probably need to put myself in their shoes more because I am coming at it from a um, educated side or, or more information side because I know how to live in a society because I'm, I've been in a society for 33 years. You know what I mean? Like, and so to, for God giving them these, you know, boundaries um, I've had boundaries all my life. Yeah. I don't know what life was like prior to boundaries. So like they do. And I mean, I get it. If you're coming in, you know, if you went through the exile as a three-year-old versus went through the exile as a 30-year-old, you're probably going to have a different take on it. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point too, by the way, because we we just read through the Exodus. This is like the major story for the Israelites um, and for the Jewish people. I mean, they still celebrate Passover to this day. One of the reasons why I think... I got into a discussion one time with some people on on Twitter and they were asking like, what do most modern Christians like not understand about the old Testament story? And I said, I don't think most modern Christians have any concept of the exile and how big a deal that was because the exile is the undoing of what has just happened. What we just read about in Exodus. So they're going to go from here. They're going to go into the land. They're going to conquer the land. They're going to build a temple and they're going to have their own country their own nation so they're fulfilling what has been promised to abraham and then they're going to lose all that and they're going to be carried off and so they're going to re-enter slavery by the time we get to the end of the old testament Um, they're going to come back from that and the old testament just kind of stops there because it's it's just kind of like well what now and it kind of leaves it for the people and then we're going to see by the time we get the new testament they're back under the oppression of the romans now it just never ends but like the exile is is you have the Exodus, which is like the major story in the in the Bible uh, or in the Old Testament, and then when we get to the exile, you know, when we get to the prophets and the historic book, that's the other one because it's the undoing of everything that we've just read. And again, that's another invitation to live into that because it's this like, holy cow, like what now? Because we thought we were promised all this and we've just lost it all, and now we're in we're in captivity again. So glad you mentioned that. So let's jump into what we were talking about, kind of the question of the day. So if someone's not reading along with us, we still want this to be profitable for them. So let's ask the question and talk about the question. What do we do with the old Testament laws? And wanted to see what you guys thought about that. 
Well, I think it's complicated. You can't just take and throw them all out. And I don't know that all of them still apply. So then I think you get into like this really murky area of where do you cut off what laws are still applicable for Christians today or just people today to be decent human beings versus like what's outdated. And I think that's where you can get into trouble with interpretation. Like I have tattoos. Um, a lot of people would say that that's wrong. You're not supposed to have tattoos. Um, I think a lot of people could agree that you shouldn't be, you know, an adulterer. So, I mean, where do you cut off is really a complicated thing. I don't think it's just black and white. I think um, there are moral laws and it's really easy to say Mm -hmm. you shouldn't kill somebody. Mm -hmm. Um, But at what point, if your baby scratches you in the eyeball, do you scratch them back? You know, Ellen. (laughs) So it's just complicated. Yeah. Ellen, you have a Um, thought? I do. uh, We practice Sabbath in our house. um, And, well, let me... Let me explain that for just a second. So on Sunday, I I cook on Sunday because I enjoy cooking. So I only do stuff on Sunday that I enjoy, I guess, if that makes sense. Um, so like I cook a big meal on Sunday because I enjoy cooking a big meal. Um, but uh, so we do Sabbath in our house on Sunday. We go to church and then we come home and I do not entertain my kids. I, I do not entertain my husband. Um, like you, you are off on your own. You do your own thing. Um, there are some things where like for 30 minutes on a Sunday night, we get ready for the week. Um, but that's necessity, but everything else, like I don't give you anything to do. I don't put toys in front of you. I don't tell you, you can go out in the yard. You can, you do yourself, but I'm going to Sabbath. I'm going to rest. I'm going to do my thing. I'm going to do the things that bring me joy. Um, so that is a big thing in our house. I don't think my kids actually enjoy it. <laughs> nice. I do. <laughs> but, so what does that uh, look like for you? Do you, so do you clean the house? Do you no. put your phone no. up and your computer up or do you do you enjoy your phone and your computer? Um, I do the things. So um, like I do the things that bring me joy. So like I will cook. I will um, I will read. I will um, if I want to scroll Facebook, I scroll Facebook. If I want to scroll Instagram, I scroll Instagram. Um, sometimes I'll do some projects that I've wanted to do. Um, like I'm recording now in my office. This is like my space. Um, that's like this sounds so bougie, but I need a space where I can come. That's me, just mine. This is all my crap is in here. All my crap, not Kyle's, not Emma's, not Emma. nobody else's crap. Well, there is some stuff. There's some core four stuff, but nice. there is no other crap in here, but mine. And it's just my space. Um, and so it's, it's just a, a day where I can come. I know it sounds like you're supposed to get closer to the Lord on the Sabbath and do things like that. Um, but I feel like to me, that's a rest and, but that's the season of life I'm in because I don't work a job outside my home for 40 hours a week. Um, I, I do a lot of, um, you know, ring lingings, ring, ring leading, you know, yes. circus person. So, um, so I need a day so that I can come in and that everybody has to deal with their own needs and pretend like mom's not here. Yeah. In fact, it's hard to get close to God if you've lost your identity for yourself. Well, who am I to approach God if I don't know who I am? So I think that's healthy, a healthy boundary. I sometimes put myself in timeout and -hmm. it usually happens on Sunday afternoons when I've had too much and the kids are screaming and Jacob has his dad earmuffs on and he can just ignore them. And moms, I don't think we're hardwired with that luxury. 
I think a mm-hmm. kid cries or is saying my name, I have to respond to them. That's just how I'm wired. Jacob can very easily ignore them. So sometimes I put myself in timeout. I say, I'm in timeout. Dad's in charge. And I'll get in my bedroom and I'll shut all my doors and I'll read a book. And it's just like an hour and a half or two hours and no one dies. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's amazing yeah. to get yeah. that time, that restorative rest to then know who you are outside of the title of mom, chef, maid. For me, yeah. I do work outside the home 40 hours a week. Um, employee, you know, that's another title yeah. hat that I wear. Yeah. You guys both touched on something, you know, Tiffany, you talked about the moral law. Ellen, you talked about Sabbath, which for you, Sabbath is not a civil or ceremonial command. It's just a practice that you've observed that, that you get obviously from scripture. But that's sort of the, when we talk about like, what do we do with the Old Testament law? I'll share a couple of articles in the uh, show notes that, that break this down a little bit better than what I'm about to do. Cause I'm going to try to do it in about a minute, but Basically, the idea is there are you have to look at the laws like in Leviticus and Exodus and, and books like that, and and recognize that there are some that are given for ceremony. There are some that are given for how do we conduct ourselves in the temple. There are some that are given for civil purposes. How does Israel conduct itself as a nation state uh, and one that is that is a theocratic nation state where God is the is the ruler? And then the other one is is moral laws. What do we do with things like how do we treat the poor or the needy or our families or whatever. And when we get into the New Testament, what we see is uh, we're told in in Hebrews, Jesus alludes to this several times, that he fulfills the laws as far as the civil laws and the ceremonial laws. Like he's the righteous one. We've already talked about how it doesn't matter how good we are. Like ultimately, like we're not going to be able to fulfill the ceremonial laws. So he does that for us. But when you get to the moral law, Jesus actually sort of dials it up a little bit with that. And so when you get to like the Sermon on the Mount, for instance, and he says, you've heard it said, do not murder. But I tell you, if you call someone a fool, like you're guilty of committing murder in your heart. Uh, You've heard it said, do not commit adultery. But if you lust after someone, like you've already committed adultery in your heart. So he kind of cranks the dial up on the moral law. And so you have to look at the laws in that in that regard and have to say like, okay, there are some that are obviously ceremonial. There are some that are obviously civil. We don't live in a nation state anymore. The people of God are are the church. We're not called to be a country. We're called to be the church and the church is worldwide. It's not defined by borders the way that countries are. And so, yes, you dismiss those things. It would be the the charge that's given to Christians oftentimes is that we're inconsistent because we apply some verses of the Bible and we don't apply others. So we'll apply the ones about sexuality, for instance, but we won't apply the ones about not eating eating bacon. But it's really inconsistent, if you're being honest, to to say like, hey, Christ has fulfilled all these. And so like, I'm not going to, um, uh, you know, if Christ fulfills it, then you don't have to honor it, I guess. Does that make sense? Like, or you're not bound to it. So it would be inconsistent to try to honor all those because then you're saying like, well, Christ wasn't, wasn't good enough. And that's one thing I think you have to get across to people and try to help them understand if they do ask this question of you. I think the other thing, a lot of the ceremonial laws were, were really there to serve as reminders. And so for instance, um, getting back to Aaron, when he's given his robe, there's a couple of lines in that process where it says you are to do this to serve as a reminder and everything that's given to us in the law is to serve that purpose. And so when you have 
like there's a there's a law about not wearing um, garments that have mixed linens. Well, the point of that wasn't because it was bad to wear like a cotton poly polyester blend. It's because it was supposed to remind them when they got dressed in the morning that they're supposed to live separate lives. They're supposed to be different than the people who lived in the land before then or, or than the people who held them in captivity beforehand. And as you read the Old Testament, you're going to see they're not any different. And so the point is, it's supposed to be a reminder to do that, but we're going to see that they're not going to be, be able to do that. And so that's how we get back to the garden, but we're not going to be able to live that to get back to the garden. We're going to have to figure out another way to do it or look for another way to do it. So really, when you talk about like, what do we do with the laws? That's sort of the, the outlook that you want to want to take on them with that. All right. So we're going to, we're going to jump into some questions, some Q and a now, and I'm trying to pull up my questions right now. Okay. So the question that you sent me, Ellen says this. So there were there were a few references to demonic goat spirits in yes. Leviticus chapter seventeen, and um, there were some questions about are there other gods? Because there's so many commands about like don't follow other gods and things like that. So the question was, um, is this in reference to the fallen angels that Tara Lee, for instance, refers to? Are they demonic spirits? Are there other gods? Yada yada yada. That's the basic gist of the of the question, yes, right? Yes, yes. So to answer that, uh, in I mean, we have like three minutes. <laughs> so notes version. Um, there's a so I'll I'll throw this in the show notes as well. There's a great there's a great video on spiritual beings by the Bible Project that kind of talks about this really well. But in essence, like so, the the word gods is used a lot to refer to you know other spiritual beings and things like that. And yes, there are angelic beings. There are demonic beings. Um, Yes, they have certain powers. But when we talk about God himself being the one true God, like there's nothing else on that level, right? There can't be. And so when other gods are referred to, they use the the term gods kind of loosely in their day. Like to us, when we use it, we're going to think like Greek gods or we're going to think spiritual beings. Sometimes even in the Bible, the word gods is used to just describe people who are, who have a uh, elevated status where they're rulers over certain people or they're, um, they're just given some sort of command to, to, to rule over people or to make like judgmental type of decision, not judgmental, but like they're judges over matters. Um, So sometimes it's used in that regard, but oftentimes when it's used and when it's talking about not having other gods, it's really just talking about not valuing other things. And sometimes that can be other spiritual beings that we elevate or that we ascribe a status that, um, that they really don't belong to. Uh, One of the names of God. So the main name of God is Yahweh. Um, One of the other names of God that, that describes them is Elohim. Elohim actually means God of gods. Um, but it's, again, it's not not in the sense that there are other gods that exist. It just means like there's, there's a level of maybe we'll call them spiritual beings. Maybe we'll call them demonic powers or angelic powers even. And then there's a level above that. You'll get into this as well um, where Paul will make a reference in one of his letters to um hearing about a man who reached the third level of heaven. And so it's kind of confusing. Like what the, what's the third level of heaven. And for them, 
they had what we would describe as atmosphere space and then the heavenly realm they would have they would have looked at at the sky and called that the first heaven they would have looked at space where like stars and the moon and all that is and called that the second level of heaven and then the third level of heaven would have been the sort of unseen realm where where god lives so a lot of it's just sort of the vocabulary and the limits of vocabulary and that or 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 you know they haven't developed their their vocabulary as much as we have so a lot of it has to do with that so god's a lot of times is referring to spiritual beings sometimes it's referring to human beings um, but every time it's really just it's going it's talking about a level of people or beings or whatever that that are a level above us but they're still not on the level that God himself is. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Hopefully that answers the question. If you have other questions, you can send them to us as, as you have questions about anything that we read in our, um, in our scripture readings, we're going to be going from this month now. And we just started the book of numbers. We'll be reading through numbers, Deuteronomy and into Joshua. And I, th I don't remember if we complete Joshua by the time we get to April or not, but we'll be in those. And we'll actually have a guest on our ne next episode to talk through the book of Joshua with us. It'll be a surprise. So just FYI there. A um, couple other closing thoughts before we wrap this up and tie a bow on it. Uh, Ellen, I want to turn it over to you because Easter's coming up and Good Friday and all that good stuff. And we actually, you're, you're, you have in the works a Passover meal. So tell us a little bit more about that. Yes. So um, we we are trying to get, uh, I don't know, as uh, hands-on as possible uh, reading the Bible. And we thought that the best, um, a best way uh, to do that or to even to celebrate um, like a quarter, uh, we'll be quarter of the way through um, the Bible in April um, is to have a traditional Passover meal Um with uh, a member of our church who um, has been Jewish and uh, has celebrated and understands some of the stuff about this, um, about Passover. Um, so we're going to do a Passover dinner um, and have traditional uh, foods and stuff like that. Um, and so it'll be a way to kind of come in, make the scriptures, you know, kind of be more tangible um, to celebrate together with a meal um, as we've completed um, a quarter of the of the Bible or quarter of a reading in a year, um, even if you haven't uh, completed um, to that point, I do encourage you to read uh, to that point. Uh, make yeah, that a sure. good goal for you. Um, but if, if you haven't, you can still participate. Um, so that's coming up. So look for that in April. We're getting that together in the works. Um, it may not necessarily be on the exact day because uh, we do want as many people to participate as possible. So yeah. Yeah. So join us for that. That'll be Holy Week mm -hmm. some point during that time. We'll have more information about it when we record our next episode and then we'll put it on our social sure. media and all that, all that kind of stuff. Um, the other thing that we are working on that we want to uh, give to you to tell you is that we are, we are working on developing some t-shirts for reading through the Bible. I don't know why my voice just cracked there, but it did. That was awesome. Uh, I'm 42 years old. Uh, <laughs> so we're working on some t-shirts that um, almost, if you think of like karate, and you have different levels of karate belts, like green belts and red belts, and then you get to black belts or whatever. So we want to have T-shirts for different levels of Bible reading. So if you get through a certain part of, you know, I've made it this far, like we're going to have a T-shirt for you. And the T-shirts are going to be probably random references to different things in the in the, in the the Bible. Some of them will be, be sort of funny. 
But what we want to do is make the offer. If you're reading along with us, we'll let you know. We have a group me going, and then we'll talk more about it in upcoming episodes. But as you get to certain milestones, we will let you know, like, hey, we have a T-shirt if you've made it this far in the reading, and we'll send you the T-shirt free of charge. The the only catch is you have to do the reading. Like, you have to read every word up until that point. There's no fibbing. Or listen There's, to every word. Or listen. Or listen. Yeah, great point. You, you can listen as well, but you have to do every word because we just talked about the moral law, and one of the moral laws is don't lie. So I know how much we want free T-shirts, but... We'll send it to you free. You just have to listen or read to every word up to that point. So again, we'll talk more about that in coming episodes or in the group chat that we have going on. But uh, I'm excited about that. And and I know what our first one's going to be. It's going to be a fun one. So you don't want to miss out on that. Maybe we'll have a version of it or, or like a prototype to show uh, when we do our next episode. So just be aware that that's coming. And that's all the news I have. I don't know if you guys have anything else to share with uh, with our audience before we depart. I want to say push through. This is hard. It's but it's it you're just gonna feel something in your heart when you Ooh. get to the end of it. Oh. My bad. That was super loud. That was loud. Yeah. That's how you're going to feel. Your music in your head is going to be so loud when you finish. Yeah. Push Exodus through. Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy and and yeah. Kings and all that stuff. And holler at us. Like I said, you know, if you have questions, um, ask them as we go along. Tiffany, any closing words before we go? No, just keep trucking along. You know, just read a little bit every day or do it in chunks, but just get it done. Just do it. Be Nike. Yeah. Well, thank you guys for joining us so far. We're looking forward to next month when we talk about Numbers, Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy and Joshua. So until then. We will see you. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for subscribing, for sharing, all that stuff. Give us a like or a review if you're on Apple Podcasts, if you're on YouTube. Check us out. Let us know you're there and uh, let us know how we can support and uh, help you in any way. So that's all I got. Y'all take care.